So Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We ask that you would help us understand your word and live out of it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hello to all of you here, those of you online. I know lots of families are traveling for spring break, so if you are joining us from the beach in Maui, we're jealous. So thank you for joining us. Um, A few years ago, I read a story, some of you may have seen it too, about a 92-year-old woman who was coming out of the store, and when she got in her car, a man held a gun to her head and told him to give her some money, give him some money. She said, no. I will not. And if you kill me, I'll just go to heaven, but you'll be miserable. And Jesus is in this car, and he goes wherever I go, and he would be happy to forgive you right now if you just ask him. And the man said, well, maybe I'll go home and think about that. And then she said, you don't have to. Jesus is right here. You can do it right now. And then she gave him all the money she had, $10, and said, I won't let you take this from me, but I will give it to you if you promise not to spend it on whiskey. Man started to cry kissed her cheek, and then left. She said she went home, thought about what had happened, and then she went to sleep. (laughs) So here's the question I want to ask you. Is some 92-year-old grandma braver than you? Yeah, pretty much me too. Yeah, way braver than me. But I want to be brave like she is. More than that, I want to be brave, but also a person of integrity, compassion, someone who does the right thing even when it's hard. Sometimes I fantasize about like being somewhere and tackling some criminal and saving everyone in the bank or the store or the bus. Do do any of you ever? Just me? That's embarrassing. I don't believe you. You do. Thank you. All right. She does. Thank you. I don't believe you who shook your head. No, because I think it is a God-given desire to be a hero. I think that comes from God. That's why we like movies where the hero does what's right even in the face of great odds. We want to slay the dragon, rescue the captive, defeat the tyrant, preferably without leaving the couch. (laughs) And today's text shows us how we can become people of courage, compassion, integrity, how we can be great according to God's definition. And along the way, when we are on that journey, there are some amazing benefits. Now, the background is, this is the last sermon in a series on Jeremiah. Background is, as we've said, the Babylonian Babylonian Empire has has laid siege to Jerusalem for two years. Prophet Jeremiah said, this is because of our sin and idolatry, which, as we've said, included things like burning their kids alive as offerings to false gods and neglecting to care for immigrants, the poor, and the oppressed. And Jeremiah said that they were going to lose the war, be taken into exile for 70 years, and then return, but God would use it to make them better people, which he did, because when they returned, they never worshipped false gods again. So in this this text, Jeremiah says, surrender to the king of Babylon and your life will be spared and this city will not be burned down. In a time of war, what do we call people who say we should surrender to the enemy? I believe the word is traitor. So various officials beat Jeremiah, then they put him in the stocks, then they put him in prison, but that's not enough. So in today's text, it says they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern. It had no water in it because of the siege. They're out of water. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud, and they leave him there to die. Not super uplifting Palm Sunday text, right? But in it 
are clues and descriptions of how we can be courageous, compassionate people of integrity, how we can be great according to God's definition, which is often very different than our definition of great. And first, to be great according to God's definition, heal unnoticed injustice. So right before the text we read, just that Colin just read, right before that, Jeremiah ends up in prison. And the way that happens is he's arrested by an army captain named Uriah on false charges of deserting to the enemy, which weren't true. Jeremiah says that's not true, and it wasn't. But the text says Uriah would not listen. Instead, he brought Jeremiah to the officials. They had him beaten and imprisoned. Uriah here is just a bureaucrat, just doing his job, just pushing the papers, right, just trying to get ahead. And he passes Jeremiah on to other bureaucrats just doing their job, pushing papers, trying to get ahead, going through life, right, and, and none of them noticing that they are participating in injustice, none of them questioning the validity of the charges. It's what sociologist Hannah Arendt called the banality of evil, just kind of not noticing, just going through the motions. And I think we all do this in big ways and small. So, for instance, in college, I had a number of odd jobs, but one that really sticks in my head is this job in an office where if anyone ever left the room, like as soon as someone left the room, everyone in the office would stop, start gossiping about them, start criticizing them, right, every time someone left. So all I knew was I wasn't leaving that room. <laughs> and gossip is no little sin. It, it destroys reputations. It, it, it made that office toxic place to work. Right? And I am ashamed to say... I sometimes joined in, participated in injustice, and did not even notice. To be great according to God would have been to say kind things about people, to heal a toxic workplace. On a bigger level, as I've listened to African-American and Latino friends of mine, I am gaining a deeper understanding of the cost of racism and stereotypes that still exist in our culture. And I've shared some of those examples with you over the last year. Just as one reminder, African-American man my parents know worked at a restaurant. When that restaurant was robbed, the police couldn't find any evidence that pointed to anybody, but guess who got fired? The black man. It is still with us, and I've told you other stories like that. Right? So to be great according to God's definition, one of the things that means for me is I am asking the Holy Spirit to show me my racial blind spots, stereotypes, and assumptions that I have picked up from movies and advertising and conversations and who knows where, so I can begin to be part of healing. And in my experience, even just to say to a person of color, yes, this still exists, is healing. The first, best, and most racially reconciled community in all of human history was the early church, abolition, civil rights. It was Christians that did those things. This is our specialty, and this is where our nation is hurting right now. And we have the secret sauce. His name is Jesus. He knows how to do this, and he calls us to be healers. So let's get to healing, all right? And if you'd like to know more about that, our justice team is in the lobby, or I would encourage you to come to a workshop here, May 13th, Frames and Filters, to understand how we can be part of racial healing. That will make you great, according to God. And our country needs it. Second, to be great, according to God's definition, let Jesus stiffen your spine to do what he says, even if it's hard. Because here's the thing, there is no way we can be great according to God or really have an impact in the world unless we have the courage of our convictions. And in this text, you see the opposite of that. The king, Zedekiah, Israel's last king, is a puppet king installed by Babylon because he would do whatever the Babylonians told him to do. The problem is he'd do what everyone else told him to do as well. 
Right? So when the officials tell him Jeremiah should die, he says, he is in your hands. The king can do nothing to oppose you. Excuse me? Like, aren't you the king? Can't you, like, chop off someone's head or something? Right? Like, this is what, you're king, right? But he's just passive. Goes whichever way the wind blows, right? He had the title king, but no substance behind it. Last year, uh, when I was in Israel, not the recent trip, but two, uh, two years ago, actually, uh, Israel, the West Bank, uh, it was just me and another pastor, a friend of mine named Eugene Cho. He's preached here, someone I greatly admire. And Eugene has written books. He's often interviewed by the media, been to the White House a couple of times, uh, and he's very humble about that. He handles it very well. Anyway, on the trip, whenever we would meet someone, our guide would introduce us and say, they're pastors from Seattle who are nationally known. Hmm, that's true for Eugene, but it's not true for me. So finally I had to say to her, I'm not actually nationally known. And she said, well, you are in your own way, whatever like that would mean, right? <laughs> and then to underscore the point, on our way home in the airport, our guide read into someone that she knew, and I was with her, and Eugene was standing a few feet away, and she introduced me. And right as I put my hand out to shake this guy's hand, she said, and Eugene Cho is with us too. And he went, Eugene's here? And just kind of walked away. <laughs> kind of left me hanging, right? I had the title, she gave me the title, nationally known, but there was no substance to it, right? And that's the same thing Zedekiah's got going on here. Title, but no backbone, not the courage of his convictions, blown whichever way the wind blows, and because of fear of the crowd, he condemns Jeremiah to die. Which should sound vaguely familiar on Palm Sunday as we enter Holy Week. Because 500 years later, Jesus stood in front of a weak, vacillating government official who caved into the popular opinion of the crowd, and his name was Pilate. And the result of not doing the right thing because we're afraid is often we lose the thing we're trying to protect. In the very next chapter, the Babylonians burn Jerusalem to the ground, kill Zedekiah's sons in front of him, and then put out his eyes so the last thing he saw was his sons die, take him off to exile. So the temple that burned incense to false gods is itself burned down. The king who would not see is blinded. And the people who held immigrants and captives and slaves were themselves led captive into Babylon. The thing they tried to protect by playing it safe, they lost. Because they didn't have the courage to do the right thing. When we do not have the courage to do what's right, even if it's not popular, we lose what we're trying to hold on to. And the one, there's lots of ways to get courage. I'll talk about that in a minute. But one sure way to get courage is by couraging. The more courageous things we do, the braver we become. And then the third thing, third thing about greatness according to God is notice, care, serve. After Jeremiah is thrown into the cistern, the text says a man named Ebed-Melech, a Cushite, took some old rags, worn out clothes, and said to Jeremiah, put these old rags under your arms and pad the ropes. Jeremiah did so, and they lifted him out of the cistern. And notice the text emphasizes he's a Cushite, which means he's from Ethiopia, which means he's a, he is a black man in a Semitic world. So he's an immigrant. He has no legal rights. He was racially different. He was rescuing someone very unpopular in the middle of wartime hysteria even though he didn't have the power. A direct contrast to the king Zedekiah had all the power, but unlike Zedekiah, Ebed-Melech moved in faith, not fear. That makes us great when we do that. And notice the odd detail where he gets some rags for Jeremiah to put under the ropes so it doesn't cut him, right? So the ropes don't cut him. I mean, it's just, he noticed. 
It's just this incredible attention to detail. He noticed. He cared. So much of bringing healing is simply noticing what other people are going through. I've told you before, I became a Christian and later a pastor because when I was 19, one day I burned my arm very badly and, uh, and a woman I worked with who I had made fun of for being a Christian on her break went to the drugstore, bought some bandages, put them on my arm and said, I know you hate Christians, you've made that really clear, but I just want you to know I care about you and I'm praying for you. That started a year-long journey that led me to eventually become a Christian and then later a pastor. To this day, she doesn't know that happened because I quit working there soon after the burn thing. She noticed. See, she takes one 10-minute trip to the drugstore and poof, I'm a pastor. <laughs> right? You, you, noticing can be, make a big difference. I mean, she really altered the trajectory of my life in a major way. Right? When I find her in heaven, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thank her. She noticed. It makes a big difference. Heal unnoticed injustice. Let Jesus stiffen your spine to do the right thing, even if it's unpopular, and notice care and serve. Now, there's lots of other ways to be great, according to God's definition, but those are three from this text. And the way we get the power to do this is the same way that 92-year-old woman had the power and courage to stare down a robber. Jesus. Because when you know Jesus is with you, when you know that Jesus has got your back, when you know that the worst thing that can happen to you is you die, but you will be raised to new life like Jesus was, when you know that Jesus will take everything the enemy throws against you and will use it for good in some way in your life, when you know that no weapon formed against you can remain, you become courageous. You seek integrity and you have compassion. So man, just keep connecting with him more and more and worship Prayer, scripture, community. The more I know Jesus, the more I want to be like him. And this whole text points to Jesus, right? This whole text is ultimately what this is about. Is Just as Jeremiah was accused of blasphemy and treason, Jesus was accused of blasphemy and treason. Jeremiah was brought before a vacillating government official who caved to the crowd. Jesus was brought before a vacillating official who caved to the crowd. Jeremiah was beaten, put in wooden stocks, and then in a well. Jesus was beaten, put on a wooden cross, and then in a grave. Jeremiah was raised out of that well. Jesus was raised out of that grave, all of which we celebrate and remember this week. And the more I know Jesus, the more I want to be like him. And gradually, and it is gradual, gradually as we become great more and more in God's definition rather than the world's definition, as we live into that gradually, there are some amazing results for ourselves and for others. Could be a long list, but I'll just list three things that happen when we seek greatness according to God. The first is we get real hope, not false hope. One of the backgrounds to this chapter is that King Zedekiah, to shore up his defenses against Babylon, made an alliance with Egypt. But the Egyptians never showed up. They deserted him. It was a false hope. A lot of times we put our hope in false things. A job, job's great, but jobs can get boring after a while. A relationship, that's great, but no one person can really meet all our needs. But Jeremiah gives real hope, real hope, not wishful thinking. And the way he does that is he says to Israel, even though this is hard right now, God's going to use it for good. We're going to get closer to God because of this, which they did. Real hope is not wishing it were so. Real hope happens when we say, God, in this hard moment in my life, God, in this hard moment in our nation, what are you up to? How can I be part of it? That gives us hope. Second, 
benefit of seeking greatness according to God is you get a glorious freedom. You know, in this story, Jeremiah is in the cistern, but he comes off as more free than weak, vacillating, cowering, timid King Zedekiah. At Jesus' trial, Pilate has all the power, all the titles, but, but caves into the crowd like a house of cards. But Jesus is bold, strong, unafraid. He was free, Pilate wasn't, which is why we sing hymns like, what a friend we have in Jesus, not what a friend we have in Pilate. And then the third benefit to seeking greatness according to God is you get a testimony, not a title. See, greatness in our world is all about the title. CEO, doctor, good-looking, smart, whatever it is. Nothing wrong with titles, but ultimately they don't satisfy like a testimony. A testimony is about having close friendships, real community, adventures with God, a connection with Jesus, and people who say, my life is better because of you. That's a testimony. A couple of years ago, uh, at a wedding I did, a woman said to me, now you're the pastor, right? And I said, yes. And she said, I've always wanted to ask this question. What do you do between Monday and Friday? Because it's not a full-time job, right? I hate that. Right? <laughs> I said, yes, it, it's a full-time job. And she said, oh, really? She said, well, do you get paid? And I said, yes, I get paid. And then she said, do you get profit sharing? Like, what would that be? <laughs> like a cut of every soul saved, right? Like, so much for my title, Reverend Doctor, right? Maybe, maybe she meant profit sharing as in Prophet Jeremiah or something like that. Titles, uh, a testimony, harder to get, harder to come by, but way more satisfying. So for instance, I just read about a man who is a buyer for a clothing company. And one day in church, the pastor was preaching uh, about kind of injustice and talked about sweatshops and the brutal working conditions around the world. And during the sermon, this buyer's mind started to wander, as they will, apparently. And, but Jesus kind of was in there somewhere because he started to think about the fact that he bought jeans for just a couple of dollars from a factory in Madagascar, but the company sold them for 100 or more. So Jesus just nudged him, and the next day he called the factory in Madagascar and asked how much it would cost to pay a just wage to their workers, to provide better working hours, and to provide uh, school fees for their workers' kids. The factory said it would quadruple the price. So this buyer, he went to his bosses and said, this is, what, this is just the right thing to do. And yeah, it's going to reduce your profits, but you're still going to make a lot of money, and you're going to sleep better at night knowing that you helped an entire village. His bosses said, you're right, that is what we should do. So he called the factory, told them to start doing all those things for their workers. The result is the company's still making a profit, but without the injustice. He was a cog in a corporate machine, but he leveraged the influence he had to save an entire village. Okay, that's a good day at the office, right? I mean, that's, that, that that's got to feel good, right? All of that because his mind wandered during a sermon. Imagine what God is doing in our midst right now. <laughs> now, I know some of you right now might be going, oh, I, I can't do something like that. Oh, my gosh, that sounds hard. I can't do that. I couldn't possibly. Yes, you can. Why? Because the spirit of the sovereign Lord God Almighty is upon you. And he will empower you to do big things as well as small things that have big long-term results. After all, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into town on a baby donkey rather than on a stallion. It looked small, but it changed the world. That's why we're doing the one-story challenge. 
That we would all have one story of how we participated with Jesus in bringing his healing in our school, work, home, neighborhood, right? And, then, and, and, and it doesn't have to be big. It could be small. And the way you get that story is every day you pray, Jesus, show me the opportunity I have today to bring your healing and keep your eyes open. And then when you've got that story, there's a map some artists made out in the lobby. There's some stamps out there. Stamp the place on the map where your story took place. And some of you can do that today. And as each of us do that, the stamps will overlap, the color will deepen, uh, fill in the map, and we will see our city different because every stamp represents a story of how Jesus is bringing healing to the east side and beyond. And if your story took place off the map, just put the stamp on the side. And then if you're willing, share your story, a 15-second video that you can send to us, or send me your story with all the details so I can tell it in a sermon someday to encourage others. And tons of you have sent me stories. Well done. You've sent a lot of stories. I will note, a lot more women than men. So men, you got to catch up, all right? So you're, you're behind, guys. But a lot of you have sent me stories. Y'all are making a difference all over the east side. For instance... A woman in our church, who I will call Sarah, sent me her story about how she is a recent empty nester, her friends had moved away, and, and, and in her words, all of that had put her in a, quote, funk. But she said, I just kept thinking, Scott, about how you say God uses us wherever we are. So one day, Sarah got an email about some changes in their neighborhood school, and God just nudged her. That her new neighbors, who were uh, an Indian couple, Indian family that had just moved from Australia, were too new to have gotten that email, and they may not understand American schools anyway, so maybe she could help. So she told her husband, I'll be back in five minutes, and went over to the neighbors to just give them the info. An hour and a half later, she came back. They'd had a great conversation that turned into a great relationship. And she's been doing that with other neighbors as well. And Sarah said one of the relationships she's most thankful for is another family that had just moved in. The wife is from India, the husband from Arizona. Sarah said we've shared meals together, our faith, board games. It has been this great adventure to eat with our hands and learn more about their culture. My friend was lonely, so I invited her to come to the mom's prayer group with me. I made a friend. Sarah ended her email by saying, God has taught me so much about the richness of reaching out. My life has become more colorful, more meaningful, and I only had to walk 15 steps and knock on a door. I only had to pray and be open to what God is doing. Did I sometimes feel uncomfortable? Yes. It was hard for me to eat a dinner where I can't recognize the foods. Frustrating to not always understand what people are saying because of the accent and have to ask them to repeat it. Downright scary to dress in a sari and go to a five-year-old birthday party where I didn't know anybody. But oh, was it worth it. One of my mom's saying is, bloom where you're planted. I am glad God planted me where I am. I am blessed. She brought healing to immigrant families who sometimes feel a little lost uh, in a new culture, sometimes even unwelcome. In a way, bringing healing to that neighborhood by building more community in that neighborhood. And the other person that got healing is her. She started in a funk, but ends by saying, my life is more colorful, more meaningful. She asked God to show her the opportunities she had to bring healing, kept her eyes open, and now, because of that, the result is she and others are closer to God. There's more community. There's more joy. She's got a story. And in a busy east side culture that isolates us, do not underestimate the power of building community. Little things can have big, long-term results. Remember, I am your pastor because someone bought me a Band-Aid. So ask Jesus, ask Jesus 
to make, to make you great according to his definition. Show you how you can be part of his healing where you live, work, play, or learn. Mark the map to remind us all that Jesus is on the move. And you may or may not make the headlines. You may save a whole village like that clothing buyer or you may save a neighborhood. But you will have a story. And Jesus will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You are great in my eyes. I've said before, one of these days, you and I, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And when that happens, they're going to take you to the cemetery. They're going to dig a hole in the ground. They're going to drop you in. They're going to throw dirt in your face. And everyone's going to go back to the house and eat potato salad. And on the day you were born, you were crying and everyone was smiling. And the question is, on the day you die, will everyone be smiling? Will you be smiling while everyone is crying? And that depends on whether you know Jesus and on whether you have lived a life that makes for a great testimony or just some titles. The spirit of the sovereign Lord God Almighty is on us, Bell Press. And he has anointed us to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, to set at liberty all who are oppressed. Jesus is on the move, and his rescue mission to this world will not be denied. So what will it be? Greatness according to the world or greatness according to God? Your call. So Jesus asked that you would help us to see the opportunities that we have to bring your healing wherever we are. Lord, and then give us the courage to do it in big ways and small. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.